Plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're going to talk about wargaming. And when I talk about wargaming, I'm not talking about actual wars. I'm talking about competitive scenarios, scenario-based planning, a lot of things that we do. But we're going to talk about wargaming to, we say, beat or defeat the enemy, the competition. But the big thing we're going to focus on is the issues of cognitive bias and, of course, uh, avoiding blind spots in our planning process and our overall strategic process that gets us prepared for what's coming and what's going to happen in the future. Absolutely. Um, so this is near and dear to both of us, and this is not just a whiteboard exercise. Actually, uh, we have I think outside of Antarctica, you and I have worked together with significant companies on every continent uh, and every culture in terms of addressing cognitive and organizational biases and introducing checkpoints that again to your as you in your introduction are typically managed and established through war games scenario planning and then something that will address as well uh red team blue team um blue team exercises that that you know we, we we can manage with you in any event um I'm going to hand it back to the colonel because there's a, a <laughs> there's a very relevant uh, visual that you need to have to frame this discussion, and it, it goes to uh, the French Maginot Line. And I think, uh, Hal, take it away. Well, the French Maginot Line, of course, the thing that was supposed to stop the Germans at the beginning of World War II, that the Germans simply maneuvered around, uh, fixed fortification, but it was taking all the the knowledge, the what they dealt with in World War One, the fa- the classic trench warfare, if you will, of World War One, and then codifying it into this massive defensive zone. The problem they had was they had all these biases that had come from that war, and and one of the big big things was that one of the things that ended the World War One was the tank, this armored vehicle that could move across the battlefield. Now in that war. The tank kind of moved across an open battlefield. And whereas a lot of work had been done between the between the wars on this, there was a, a kind of a bias that the French had and others had that the tank was good in, in, in an open space. You know, it was not something that you'd want to take through, say, the force of the Ardennes or, or something like that. All right. And and that's exactly what the Germans did was they, they looked at these forests. They looked at the roads, they looked at the spacing between the trees, the terrain, and they moved armor through an area that the French assumed that armor wouldn't move through. And at the end of the day, it, it that and moving through neutral nations made the uh, marginal line completely irrelevant. They were maneuvered around them, and of course the French, within 
not too many weeks, completely fell apart. Even though they had more tanks, more troops, everything at the beginning of the war, they they were outmaneuvered. And it's that cognitive bias that was built into their thinking that they couldn't overcome. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, the French were looking for the old school tete-a-tete uh, and... Uh they got exactly the the opposite uh, well they were thinking horse cavalry they were thinking <laughs> exactly. infantry and and you got to remember that's that was what those senior officers came up with Absolutely. you know they were on horseback and they were on the ground and the tank was a new thing and obviously they didn't quite understand the potential of what could happen there that's actually a great segue uh, uh you know in, in terms of you know existing management teams ourselves uh you know as as managers uh, you know, looking forward and advancing our line of sight as to how the new environment is changing and what external drivers or competitive threats could emerge, just like the Germans reintroduced a new threat and, and tact, uh, maneuvering of, and tactics to a preconceived notion. So our goal here is, you know, how do you anticipate your competitors' actions and, and reactions and, and how they will respond to shifts in the external environment not so not just what you do but how technology for example may change a distribution channel from you know it's now not big box but it's direct to consumer through amazon now that affects us it affects your competitors as well so you're looking at a multi-dimensional scenario that we manage in terms of not just your competitors but also the technology elements out there and how that affects the supply chains, which you've heard us talk about before, as well as the distribution channels. That's all in the context of a war game. You know, and, and a war game, and, and, and you and I have done war games all over the place for a variety of different organizations, uh, major corporations and such. But in a war game, one of the things that I think this does lend itself to is bringing in someone from outside. One of the problems you have in any organization is the internal politics of the organization. Also, you're going to have some senior executives that have these real strong biases. You know, something happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it is, and it made an indelible uh, emotional mark, if you will, on on their mindset. So they tend to be skewed towards looking at that one threat or opportunity because what happened before it is tough, and certainly with the rapidity of change in today's environment, with the rapid pace of technology, with all the different things, the confluence of the international uh, realm, it's difficult for any executive who's not spending an inordinate amount of time paying attention to all these things to suddenly shift gears and understand what this is. And it's important that in that wargaming uh, environment, that it tests those assumptions and it also tests those biases. You know, one thing we do, and I'm going to bring this up, when I go around the world and we talk maritime security stuff, one of the things we talk to our foreign allies, we tell them right up front, the U.S. has a bias. We love technology. And, and we're very upfront about it. We love technology. We're, we're, we, we, we think there's a technological solution to everything. That's the other problem we have, too, is we always think we can fix things, that for every problem there's a solution. And in many cases, for some of these problems, there's not a really easy, there's not a great solution. There's no, none that jumps out. But, but by being upfront with that, it helps us work in further discussions by saying, hey, look, we're, we're being upfront. This is, a, this is an issue we have. And it helps us, and by the way, usually, it, it elicits 
them coming forward saying we have a bias too let's talk about what we do and uh and it makes for a much more frank exchange yeah you make you make you make excellent points and uh, you know on an earlier podcast we talked about uh uh how humans you know like to build towers and you know ai hasn't uh completely replaced humans so as long as we're still here uh there's going to be ego there's going to be legacy projects and uh, to you're, your po- you're, you're assuming I'm not a cyborg at this point. <laughs> yeah, is that what yeah. it is? Okay, you've passed the test so okay, far. Okay, all right. So, so, so the the point is that that objectivity, especially in certain cultures, and we can discuss this later on, is absolutely key. So we we, we don't have to push that agenda in terms of you know out, us as outsiders, but just be aware that internally, you, you may get a lot of agreement when in fact that's exactly what you what you don't need. This is especially relevant. Um, in a in what's developed now is kind of an ongoing template with the matrix organization which the matrix organizations you know cover often and in this numerous industries geographies and regulatory regimes you're working with one right now i i know you can't say too much but it has some very interesting aspects you may want to talk about right i i, I certainly can't say too much except that they they, they operate on every continent um Headquartered in the U.S., funded um, from uh, private equity money in out of uh, Asia, so you don't not only have a fusion of cultures, you have every time zone conceivable, <laughs> and then you have many silos. So the goal is, in terms of communicating on a coordinated uh, long-term strategy, uh, it, it, it's it's extremely difficult, and the need for a war game with a broad-based perspective in a matrix setup, whether it's global, as I just described, or frankly, regional. Um, the dynam- the human dynamics um, are the same. You know, the bias is dangerous, and the danger of bias is amplified in a fast-moving environment. And, you know, we've talked about AI, we've talked about tech- technology, compressing the planning cycle, and, and what that means. Hey, You've heard us talk about lithium batteries. Now, they, that's great. A lot of ca- a lot of deep capital expenditures going into that area. Now we've got solid state coming at us. Um, you know, and, and what does that mean? You know, where are we in terms of responding to that? Was that gamed? We, you know, that's just one example of many that we've worked with. You know, what's what's interesting in in war gaming? I'll give you a, an example. I worked with a uh, a major uh, local government organization, a major county in Southern California. And they had funding for Homeland Security. And they were trying to figure out where do we put it. And when we talk about Homeland Security emergency preparedness, you could go terrorism. You can go, uh, you know, active shooter, non-terrorism. You could do fires, earthquakes, floods. You name it. There's a variety of different threats out there. So what we did was we started with assessing the threats. And you just kind of alluded to this um, was in an assessment process, you have to you have to kind of figure out what is the most important stuff. So these were weighted values. When we looked at vulnerability, maximum effect, probability uh, across the board, we'd have weighted values. And then we get to the what were the biggest things that affected them. And then we got into specific scenarios of what could happen taking those top threats. And for those specific scenarios, we actually wargamed it down to where we had you know, we need to build, we need to put a new door in here. We need to put a new fence line out here at this place. 
And it was fascinating because when we started, we were looking at fires and earthquakes and floods and, and attacks and all sorts of stuff. And when we got down to it, we literally got down to what we're going to um, what we're going to be spending money on specifically to protect against what we thought was the biggest threat there. And and it was an interesting dynamic. It took several days. It wasn't something that just happened, but but it worked. And that's one of the that's one of the magic things about wargaming using other tools within a wargaming scenario. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I, I think we can encapsulate that excellent example into uh, something our listeners can walk away with, which is this. It's, it's, it's a paradox of choice, okay? So what you just described is when you have an endless series of initiatives and options and plans and set resources, to your point, you need a tool and a moderation process that we what we call is forced triage, okay? A triage is, you know... A key term, I mean, most of I'm sure you know it in terms of you're ranking your projects uh, one, two, and three, and we can go into that. You, you you alluded to, you know, probability, impact, and so forth, and we that that's that's a funnel that gets you to that point. All right, fair enough. Otherwise, you're going to be on this uh, endless uh, treadmill of workaround problems. I would have said hamster mill. Hamster, yeah, okay, hamster yeah. wheel, treadmill, whatever, yeah. of, of trap, of, of workaround solutions, which are often, you know, they're, they're too thin and, and they're not sustainable. And there's one other point just before we move on, um, is that with regards to the moder- moderating these, these, these exercises that, that you, you brought up, it's, it's very important, especially, I, I, we alluded to this before, different cultures, but, you know, even in, in, in every culture, there's always a hierarchy, and to get the best ideas out there, we've actually been in situations where we've had to ask certain people to leave the room <laughs> <laughs> so that the real ideas can be <clears throat> tabled and then, you know, cataloged and discussed openly. So it's, 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 there's, there's an art element to this. It's just not an Excel spreadsheet. Well, not to, not to push ourselves too hard, but that's one of the reasons I believe with, with wargaming and, and dealing with cognitive bias and dealing with influence is what you're kind of uh, alluding to. Yes. It's good to bring in outsiders. You know, uh, there's a term that we sometimes use. We call ourselves third-party bad guys. We're the guys that come in to put you through a rigorous process, and we say things that nobody inside the company can say. You know, we've talked about this before with wargaming, is that when you, uh, for example, competitive wargames where you actually emulate uh, uh, competitors or possible competitors, and then you have the home team, we've seen this over and over again. Who wins the wargame? Usually one of the competitors. Why? Because the home team is is literally uh, hamstrung by all the cognitive bias and all the cultural norms and all the organizational politics that go with being the home team. So they have no ability to maneuver because they know if they say, hey, let's do this, that after the war game's done, somebody says, "Why, why would you do that? You, you just sacrificed a sacred cow. How dare you do that? And so that's, you know, as we talk about, sometimes we have to throw certain executives literally out of the room. Not physically. I mean, we didn't, I don't remember us ever picking them up and throwing. Did we ever pick up no, and throw yeah, somebody? Okay, yeah. maybe once or twice anyway. But we had to get them out of there because everybody, every time you'd see people talking and their eyes would flirt or, or flit over to whoever it is. Uh, flirt probably has another meaning, but anyway, <laughs> uh, keep moving. But they would move over to that, and and they would look over there, and you go, okay, you've got to move out of the room while we have this discussion because we're not going to get anywhere 
because they're all looking for your nod of approval. You know, they're looking at your body language and everything else, and we're just not having a frank exchange. Yeah, yeah. it's really tough with husband-wife teams. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hence the Florida issue. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you, you, to, to your point, you know, the, 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 the home team often is anchored to the plan. So, I mean, that's that's that that reduces their maneuverability. Um, okay, moving quickly here before I hand it back to you. You know, our, our, the goal is, and not to be fancy in terms of, but just take this away, cognitive systemic biases, you know, you want to replace that with a cognitive empathy. So saying empathy, that's self-evident, right? You want to put yourself in the mindset of how you would react if you were not anchored, but were actually in the role of the competitor. So that's, that's a really interesting, you'll find that you've got the talent in-house. So what's great about this, again, visualize another funnel. Okay, at the top, you look at the strategy, okay, and, and to, to realign it possibly based on the outcomes. Uh, that, that goes to understanding the operations. And where, I wanna go, where we wanna go with this is that structure has to follow the strategy. If you make a change in the strategy that you recognize, then you've gotta be willing to say, okay, our operational footprint um, it, it, is not, it, it has to be reconstituted, okay? And that, that may be good or it may be painful. But that has to be recognized. That's operation is a middle layer. So having a good strategy but not changing the operational uh, uh, orchestration is, is not good. And then, of course, you drive down at the bottom of the funnel is the tactics of, again, you're always going to hear that. Strategy, ops, and tactics. And, and that's what we're, we're trying to change. Remember, take this away, please. Strategy. Or structure, I'm sorry, must follow the strategy that you pull together. And by the way, we have no problems coming into a company and training people on how to do wargaming. And I have done that many times. In fact, I've run, I've done uh, very extensive wargames where I literally turn around and I said, okay, do you need me to do this the next time? And they'll kind of look at each other and go, oh, I guess we could do this ourselves. It's like, you can. Now, with that said, you may need us to come in to 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 a get you up to speed because it's it's a there there's a lot of art and science that goes into how this is done uh to help set it up to get it going in the right direction and and then the other thing i would say is periodically it's not a bad idea to bring in outsiders to uh to kind of help do things because over time and look every organization by virtue of being an organization has politics that's what politics are it's, it's the interactions of any organization, whether it's a nation, a company, whatever, you're gonna have politics. And it's tough to do all of this in-house completely. It's good to bring in outsiders with a fresh perspective and, and who can walk away, who can literally go in there and, and upset the apple cart, so to speak, and then walk away, and I think that's critical. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll wrap it up very quickly here with my last input and give it back to you. Um, our, our goal is simple, just advance the line of sight, okay, and isolate what could happen, all right? And if the could happen does happen, <laughs> then okay, you're at least somewhat prepared to be directionally correct. You'll never be planned A through Z, but you might be planned A through M to respond, and then you'll figure out the rest based on the actual situation that emerges. Things will happen, but being prepared is the way to go, and wargaming is an absolute crucial step. Mark, this has been a great discussion. I think we've covered a lot of stuff. We're going to come back to wargaming in the future. I can tell you that. This is not a topic that's going to sit here one time. We will be talking more about this. Okay, thank you, Hal. Uh, we'll probably present a case study, and uh, thanks again. Great working with you. Strat. 
Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.